Hello to all our listeners. Sorry that we've been offline the last couple of weeks. Things have been a little busy for us. We will be resuming our normal schedule again and hope you enjoyed this episode. For our first story, we thought we would dive into the controversy surrounding Cave Post and the recent firing of its editor Brian Bonner and the entire journalistic staff at the paper. So we've done a bit of a deep dive into the significance of Cave Post and if listeners want to refresh their memories on it, it's episode 16 and it's called Cave Post and Crimean Fried Chicken. So it's a, I think it's a pretty good episode. But just for a bit of history and context before we kind of dive into what's happened. So KF Post was founded on the 18th of October in 1995 by American Jed Sutton, who was a student living in Kiev at the time. And he created the paper to serve expats living in Ukraine who might have not had a good grasp of the language and wanted to stay informed with what was happening in Ukraine. And... Since then, um, KF Post has gone on to become sort of the global voice for Ukraine because it was the main English publication that covered events in Ukraine. And also, unlike many other Ukrainian journalistic outlets, it wasn't controlled by a major oligarch or towed the line of the Ukrainian government, as was the case for many Ukrainian outlets during the early 2000s before the Orange Revolution. Now, in its 26-year history, KF Post has gone through three owners. So it was first American Jed Sutton. Then it was owned by Mohammed Zahor, who was a British businessman of Pakistani origin, origin, who owned the paper for a very significant period of time until he sold it recently. I think it was two years ago to Adnan Kivan, a native of Syria and who is now a major businessman in the Odessa region of Ukraine. And... When the paper was sold to Kivan, there were major concerns about the sale because for the first time in the paper's history, it would be owned by an individual who had significant business ties to Ukraine. So before that, the paper was always usually the only major asset that the owner would have had in the country. And so there was very little influence that the paper could experience from the Ukrainian government. This seems to have been some of the rumors surrounding the recent controversy is that because the owner is so tied up in Ukrainian business, that there were fears that the government would be able to apply pressure to him uh, due to its notoriety of being able to publicly criticize the government and not be afraid to point out flaws. So, um, Nathan, oh, you stand. Do you want to take us through the role of Kiev Post in the diaspora? Yeah, thanks, Alexa. Look, I think first and foremost, as you've said, uh, the Kiev Post provided a very unique voice uh, that was, I guess, a little bit more free journalistically to speak its mind. Historically, the paper and the policy of like, editorial policy for the paper has always supported democracy in Ukraine, Western integration and free markets. Um, and as you mentioned, there's been a lot of over its 25 or over 25 year run. Uh, it's been uh, quite prolific in writing around things like uh, the big issues of since the, I guess, the murder of um, the journalist uh, Gurgi Gongadze in 2000, all the way through 
uh, the Orange Revolution, and then through to Yodamaidan and the war in Donbass, um, invasion Crimea. So I think, as, as in a sense, it's always provided that voice. But I think the important part of that to think about from a, a diaspora perspective is how influential and that voice has been in providing, I guess, on the ground news of Ukraine from Ukraine in the English language. And so uh, the Kiev Post's longtime motto for its masthead was independence, community and trust. Um, so obviously they always emphasize their hygienistic standards, their ethical practices. And then it did meaningfully change, as I think Alex already mentioned, it changed its motto to Ukraine's global voice in February 2018. And I think that's, yeah, really was a reflection for how much credibility the paper had received uh, in the Ukrainian diaspora around the world, um, even if internally within Ukraine, its readership and circulation probably wasn't as impactful. And increasingly over a long period of time, um, there were many awards that Kiev Post would win from um, different journalism schools all around the world, particularly in the United States. And there's even sort of a commentary made by some communication companies, ironically in Moscow, that talked about uh, during a period from about 2013 through to 2014, during the war in Donbass and the invasion of Crimea, that uh, Kiev Post was the most quoted Ukrainian news source by American and European news organizations, and also the second most quoted in Ukraine and Russia. So, so it's interesting. It did have a, a period where it was um, very, very influential, and it continued to be so right up until this shock uh, firing of its editorial staff and shutdown of the paper as it exists today. And then I guess in terms of, uh, you know, being unique in the sense that it was really an English-based news service, it was quite popular uh, in Western diaspora countries simply because for a lot of people where reading, I guess, complex Ukrainian was probably more challenging. There was this opportunity to be able to read first-hand accounts of what's happening in Ukraine. And I know that um, Nathan will, will very likely mention, but there's been, they've also been very active in terms of creating forums and online forums and having discussions and business summit type events where they really talk about Ukraine's issues and, and different areas of Ukraine's industry that could be, you know, I guess, uh, more closely integrated to the West and, and you know, I guess, looking at future directions for Ukraine in a global context. And so I guess because of this impact that Kiev Post had been really building for a very, very long time in Ukraine, but particularly in the last decade, uh, having this influence has been quite valuable, but equally, it seems as though its influence has also not gone unnoticed by powers that would rather not see such liberal journalism and such, uh, I guess, independent journalism within Ukraine. And that in itself, plus the controversial sale that we're going to go into a bit more detail in now, plus the kind of immediate firing of the editorial staff in a very shocking way is, is just, I guess, bad news all around uh, for the state of independent journalism in Ukraine. Yeah, so when we look a little deeper into the downfall, the end result um, of the Cave Post, uh, as you mentioned, as Alexa mentioned, you know, it started with this... Um, sale to this um, Syrian construction tycoon, um, Adnan Kivan. Now, despite the purchase, the editorial board still remained, uh, still kept a large part of its um, editorial independence, which is really what ruffles a lot of feathers within the political establishment in Ukraine in the sense that if the editorial board is um, independent from the owners, well, then the politics of these business owners cannot impact as much on the actual news that is uh, being released. So the EU reporter actually 
reported a statement by the Kiev Post about this um, incident. And the, the statement reads, three weeks ago, the Kiev Post's Odessa construction tycoon Adnan Kivan had other plans to expand the Kiev Post and launch a Ukrainian language outlet under the paper's brand. At the time, the news, as well as the appointment of a hand-picked chief editor to head this news section, were a total surprise to the newsroom. We saw significant risks in the expansion format chosen by Mr. Kavan. We also saw it as an attempt to infringe on our editorial independence. The newsroom's attempt to save the editorial independence of the Kiev Post elicited opposition from our owner. So given the fact that there was now a new hand-picked chief editor, um, who was being picked by the owners, that's where we start to see that breakdown of the um, the independence, where Kavan is not going to put someone in place who is going to um, go against his business interests or his political interests. He's going to pick someone um, who is going to put, put stories in the cave post that are more beneficial towards political um, views. So... That's when there was this um, attempt by the uh, Kiev Post to try and reclaim their uh, trademark. And they said, we consider the cessation of publication and the dismissal of the paper's staff to be an act of vengeance by Adnan Kavan. He has officially announced plans to reorganize the Kiev Post and restart operations in a month with a new team. Today, we asked him to sell the paper or to hand over the Kiev Post's trademark to the newsroom. He did not agree. So the part I find very um, upsetting by all this is that Kavan has the resources, I would argue, to start his own newspaper company. But it seems as though he wants to hold on to the trademark of Kiev Post because Kiev Post has that positive reputation because they're so independent. And it seems as though instead of trying to start his own a new news company, he wants to try and make use of that reputation and reorganize around it so that people still think it might be the same key of post, but it won't be. Now, I subscribe to um, the key of posts uh, emails. And when I saw this um, email come through that said that uh, Kiev Post suspends operations. One of the points in there that said Bonner, the Kiev Post chief editor, said that he will retire after closing after after closing down the operations of the newspaper and preserving its ice um, archives. So now that Bonner's out of there, I mean, whoever is going to be left now is not going to be doing anything, I would argue, that the Kiev Post previously did. And I, like we just saw, anyone that wants to go against Kavan is going to lose their job. So it, it's a massive blow to independent media in Ukraine. And, you know, I, I, I don't see many more outlets opening up that will challenge the authority in the same way that the Kiev Post did. But yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. I'm, this one I'm devastated by, actually. And yeah, it's a shame that, because I know the journalists offered to buy the newspaper off him in a similar move to what happened at Petro Poroshenko's two news channels where the journalists bought the TV stations off him and to continue the the independence of the two of the network and so it's a shame that a similar agreement wasn't able to be reached in this situation yeah because because that cave post branding is very important and um if you can take that audience that listens to cave post 
and funnel different kinds of content to it, well, then there's a good chance that you're going to squash a lot of opposition that uh, the KF Post has really been uh, pushing for in terms of going against certain aspects of the government that do, um, you know, cause threats to democracy like corruption or like, you know, all these other um, incidences with um, lawmakers and whatnot in Ukraine. But um, when looking at the relaunch on what this new KF Post is going to look like, they're looking to um, have it featuring different languages. So... Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what that's going to look like. Uh, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how um, KF Post advances in the future. But um, I want to backtrack a little bit into uh, some of the reasons why Kevan has gone about, about um, in a way, dismantling KF Post and rebuilding it again. So uh, there's a quote from the KF Post editor, Toma Istomina where um, quoting that whatever the newspaper had criticized of the government, um, it was because of this that he felt that he got a lot of the repercussions from the authorities. And so he felt like whatever the uh, newspaper had wrote, he'd always get the blame for it as well. And it wasn't just this. Uh, he also felt that he was dissatisfied with the media figures which is how we actually got the idea to expand Kev Post to include other languages as well. And since uh, Brian Bonner, since he will be leaving soon, Kevan actually is uh, hoping to put in a new manager, uh, which is Olana Rotari, who is the former chief editor of Adasa 7th Channel TV, which also belongs to him. But a lot of the other journalists have objected to her appointment as it will be bypassing the editor's office and a quote uh, from Yevromaidan Post says we understood that she was a Kevan's journalist and there is no editorial independence on his seventh channel therefore she cannot be a journalist who meets our standards so there is a lot of uh, conflict within uh, that will be happening in the future if she was to be posted as the new manager uh, for Kev Post but since Cave Post has now closed for the time being, um, this has pretty much blown the English language of publication in Ukraine to and pretty much non-existent at this point. Since earlier this year, Unyan was shut down um, in 2020. UATV was also shut down its international broadcasting. And in 2017, the English channel Ukraine Today was also shut, uh, shut down. So there isn't a lot left for uh, English newspapers in Ukraine. But we'll only have to we'll have to see in the future if coming back with English, Ukrainian, Russian, and Arabic will help improve, or or it will retain its previous uh, reputation of being a well-respected newspaper. Just a question. These other um, outlets that you mentioned, did they reopen with other language um, platforms or have they just remained just Ukrainian newspapers? So with Yunyan, we're still waiting for them to relaunch their English language version. UATV has disappeared completely and I think it was a short-term project on Kolomoisky's behalf. 
and then UATV has now just become the international rebroadcasting arm of Dom TV, which we covered in a recent episode as well. And they mainly just broadcast old Soviet movies and random interviews from the presidential administration because Dom TV is aimed at the occupied territories of Ukraine. And so it doesn't really have much penetration with Western audiences. Yeah, and the part that I see as a problem is that it serves as a barrier to people in the diaspora who are interested in Ukrainian politics, who want to be able to, you know, from abroad, try and push for some kind of change that would help the country, but their MOVA might not be as up-to-date enough that they can read, you know, Ukrainian newspapers. So by removing English language papers that cover Ukrainian news, it serves as a massive barrier for those people in the diaspora. I, I agree, Nathan, but it, it goes well beyond that because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the amount of, I guess, the way that Kiev Post was relied upon by journalists in the West to report on Ukrainian issues was quite significant. And obviously, without having that English news source that is a little bit more independent, that is a little bit more measured and probably, you know, probably less agenda-driven, perhaps, than other news outlets, um, it's going to be hard for Ukraine's that Ukrainian voice to be heard in the same way. I mean, we already know all around the world, wherever we go, local news and even regional news at a country level is under a lot more pressure. Centralised wire services like AP and other, uh, you know, things like Reuters are often the place where a lot of the real hard news comes from or from, you know, I guess, key Mastheads around the world that still do investigative journalism, and so often the news we read online is often you know quoted and reported from different areas. And the biggest fear for me, and I think for a lot of people with Kiev Post walking uh, falling away in in that role in Ukraine, is that ultimately it's going to be the Western journalists are going to be turning to things like RT English or Russia Today English to get some kind of news source rather than something that's going to give a more, I guess, at least an ind- a more independent take on Ukraine's position on these issues and issues in- internally. Yeah, 100% you stand. And it's most likely what's going to happen is we're going to see the return to Moscow-based correspondents reporting on Ukraine again, which is terrible because Ukraine is fighting a war with Russia, as we all know. And you can't really have someone based in Russia reporting on Ukraine because they're in a completely different um, environment and their views are obviously going to be a bit more blemished. And also they're going to want to maintain their access to high level Russian officials and stuff. And so obviously if they do very honest reporting on Ukraine, it's probably not in their best interests. And it's not just a problem that affects just Ukraine. I mean, just recently, anyone who's been following um, the Polish-Belarus migrant crisis and some of the things that are happening on that border, some of the big reports coming from Western outlets are actually coming from correspondents at the Moscow office, which, you know, considering, you know, I guess Poland's place in the European Union, I don't think anyone would be... I think that feels a little bit old-fashioned. I don't think anyone would uh, accept or appreciate a Moscow correspondent reporting on issues in Berlin or other parts of Germany yeah. um, or Italy. But, you know, a Polish-Belarus border crisis uh, can be, you know, 
basically reported from without question from from Moscow. Now that's not to say Moscow's opinion isn't relevant, or you know, opinion from that side of the world isn't isn't relevant in in the context of Belarus. But yeah, especially because of our conflict, uh, our current war with between Russia and Ukraine, it would be very very dangerous. I think for Ukraine's position to be heard in that kind of environment without the sources like the Kiev Post. In the news this week, Ukraine was one of 40 countries to join the US-led Net Zero World Initiative. As part of the initiative, Ukraine will be able to use the expertise of the US Department of Energy to implement its decarbonization projects. Ukraine's Verkhovna Rada has voted to dismiss five ministers in Denis Mahal's government. Over 320 deputies each voted to dismiss the ministers of economy, reintegration of the temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine, strategic industries of Ukraine, environmental protection and natural resources, and the Minister of Defence. Some see these dismissals as an attempt to improve President Zelensky's numbers, as his popularity has dropped in recent polls. Residents of Kharkiv recently voted to elect a new mayor after the death of former mayor Hanadi Kadnitz. At the close of the polls, less than 30% of residents had voted, compared with 45.5% attendance in 2015. It is expected that Kadnitz's party will win the race. Ukraine also held two by-elections for the Verkhovna Rada and mayoral races in three other regional cities. During his speech at the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow, President Zelensky announced that Ukraine's goal is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 65% by 2030 and to achieve climate neutrality by 2060. Zelensky went on to highlight how Ukraine was one of the first countries in Europe to ratify the Paris Agreement and continues to support its initiatives. He also claimed that Russia has turned Crimea and the occupied territories of Donbass into eco-bombs in the center of Europe. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UQ Life Abroad content.